So hello, everyone, and welcome to Small Talk, a podcast where we explore the Boston Children's Hospital community through conversation. And we have some special guests along with us today. I'll give them a moment to introduce themselves. Thanks. Uh, my name is Jim Smith. I'm the Director of Parking and Commuter Services. It's my actual job at Boston Children's Hospital, and I've been here for about 20 years. But I'm also one of the Leadership Council members for Boston Children's Rainbow Alliance, our LGBTQ plus employee resource group. Great. Thanks. And Liz, how about for you? My name is Liz Bowski. I use she, her pronouns. I am currently the co-director of research for the Division of Gynecology here at Boston Children's Hospital. But like Jim, I'm also on our leadership council for the Rainbow Alliance ERG and also part of the leadership of our LGBTQ Nation Advisory Board. I wear all the hats. And Nelson. Hi, my name is Nelson Aquino. I'm a senior certified registered nurse anesthetist in the Department of Anesthesiology. I've been here 23 years as a nurse and 15 years as a nurse anesthetist. I currently, with along with my colleagues, lead a program, especially anesthesia care team known as the GAS team or the Gender Affirming Surgical Perioperative Program. Thank you all for joining us. We also have some members of the Small Talk podcast team, so I'll let them introduce themselves as well. Hi, everybody. My name is Stephanie Cummings. I am a member of our clinical education and informatics team, um, where I've been for a year, but was previously a nurse in our emergency department for over eight years, um, and I used she, her pronouns. Eva. Hi, everybody. I'm Eva Gomez. I'm also a senior professional development specialist in the clinical education informatics practice quality department. I've been here at Boston Children's for 16 years, and um, I'm also part of the Small Talk podcast team, so it's great to be here today. All right, and Kathy. Hello, I'm Kathy Kiley. I use she, her pronouns. I am one of the nurse educators in the emergency department, and I'm a children's hospital lifer. I have been here for 35 years. Great. Thank you. And Teresa. Last but not least, hi, I'm Teresa Shannon. I'm also a professional development specialist, a unit-based educator on Nine East, our, one of our inpatient medical units. As everyone was talking, I couldn't help but feel like we should add up the years of experience we all have here. We'd probably be horrified at the final number, um, but, but it would be very impressive, I think. Um, anyway, so thank you all for joining us today. We're very lucky to have all of you with us in celebration of Pride Month, the month of June, um, and to celebrate our LGBTQ employees, patients, and community. I reached out to Jim initially to join us for this with the hope that he would invite some lovely people, which he has with Nelson and Liz. And Jim and I have had the opportunity to collaborate on um, scheduling for Safe Stone training, which we offer um, as part of the hospital's orientation. It's a Wednesday morning class every month. And then also some special offerings, most recently for our ambulatory education series. So Jim, I'm just curious, um, how is it that you uh, got involved in the Safe Zone training? And what exactly is the Safe Zone training? Yeah, happy Pride. And thanks for having us, Steph. So the Safe Zone training, I got involved. We've been doing it for 10 years or so here at the hospital. And I got involved because through the what was then called the LGBTQ and Friends Employee Resource Group. Um, there were a group of folks who in a very grassroots kind of way said, hey, I am familiar with this really cool training that happens at a lot of colleges. And wouldn't it be great if we tried to implement something like that here at the hospital? So we got a small group of people together to work with uh, a team from the Safe Zone group to do a train the trainer initial facilitation. And they worked with us to shape what was happening oftentimes in colleges into a program that felt a little more appropriate for a hospital healthcare environment. And really it's taken off from there. Um, we have done hundreds and hundreds of these trainings to thousands of employees. The training itself is a 60 minute training that covers a lot of topics relating to gender identity and sexual identity. Uh, we do a ton of vocabulary around LGBTQ community, talking about making a safe, welcoming, inclusive, affirming environment. Um, we go through some of the differences between sex designated at birth and gender identity. We talk about pronouns and gender neutral language and documentation. So it's really a great primer for folks who are interested in learning more about working with uh, sexual and gender diverse populations, polishing up some of their own skills and vocabulary and getting a little more comfortable with uh, new information and creating a more welcoming environment and finding ways that they can individually contribute to creating a more welcoming environment at Boston Children's. 
Yeah, I've had the pleasure of listening to that talk for Many times. several months now in a row. And it really is amazing. Um, the opening video is something that just really sticks with you um, when people are sharing their own personal experiences as employees here. And I know uh, from feedback that I've received that it is amongst the most favored Wednesday morning classes. Don't tell the others. So I encourage our listeners, anyone who hasn't attended that, um, it is offered every Wednesday. You can sign up for it through Net Learning or simpler, um, but it is a really great training. So thank you for sharing that information. Yeah. And we're trying to do more open to all sessions too, to promote a little more broadly across the organization. So watch out for those on like Boston Children's Today, because they do come up periodically and anybody can drop into one of those sessions. Well, great. Thank you for sharing that. What are some of the other hospital programs or initiatives that um, any of you are involved in that help to support our LGBTQ plus community? One of the programs that I have the pleasure to be involved in is the LGBTQIA Patient Advisory Board, which consists of professionals from around the hospital trying to do what we can to improve the environment for our LGBTQIA patients and families. And we have taken charge of a number of initiatives including working on getting sexual orientation and gender identity data into the medical record, having affirmed names in the medical records, and just doing a lot of things to try and make the hospital more accepting and more affirming for our LGBTQIA patients. But another program that's even cooler is Nelson's program. The team that Liz is referring to is known as the GAS team, or the Gender Affirming Surgical Perioperative Program. And we're a specialty anesthesia care team that started out as a grassroots team of nurse anesthetists and anesthesiologists that really wanted to provide welcoming and affirming care for any patient in the perioperative environment, whether they were coming in for a gender-affirming procedure or a non-gender-affirming procedure. Initially, our goal was to participate in the care for any of these patients. But as our team evolved, we actually became a formalized program within the institution, within the Department of Anesthesiology and the Center for Gender Surgery. So we collaborate with our colleagues in the Gender Multi-Specialty Service, the GEMS program, that cares for patients for adolescent medicine, mental health, um, medical management. And then we also collaborate for patients that choose to wish to have gender-affirming procedures with the Center of Gender Surgery. And lastly, our department is able to capture patients and find out their ICD codes. And of any patient that identifies as being transgender or gender diverse, through the medical record, we can care for them in the perioperative environment. Our goals right now are really to try to advance and improve the care for patients that are having anesthesia for gender-affirming procedures. So we've created clinical guidelines and enhanced recovery after surgery protocols to improve our outcomes and improve the care that we provide. Well, thank you for that information. That was a lot of great information there. Um, and I am curious to hear because um, having worked in the emergency department for several years, I know one of the challenges was ensuring appropriate documentation so that children that were presenting to the emergency department were not being misgendered or using incorrect pronouns or the incorrect name. And so I'm just curious to hear if any of you are aware of or can speak to um, some of the changes that we might be expecting when we transition from Cerner to Epic for our documentation system. So I'm really excited for the transition from Cerner to Epic. I was an Epic trainer at my previous job and Epic has a lot more direct integration of a lot of the sex and gender information than um, PowerChart does. And also, because I've been lectured about this many times, one of the biggest advantages is that right now we are limited by the fact that our registration is in Epic, but our clinical information is in Cerner. And any information that gets entered at registration has to get translated over to Cerner. And if the translation isn't in the right place, it doesn't happen. So the nice thing about moving to the single EHR is that all of the systems should be compatible. So we should be able to much more easily do appropriately document patients' chosen name, their affirmed pronouns, all of those things in a way that is consistent across systems and easier to access. And we're also working on a number of other improvements, including trying to get the chosen name and gender identity onto the wristbands. And this has been a years long process and I don't know if we're going to succeed, but we're trying. Liz, just curious too, um, in the role that you're in, is there a patient advisory board who helps to provide information on what might be helpful from their perspective for the staff to be aware of and adopt from a documentation perspective. I'm wondering what their input has been in regards to that. 
So we have been working through a bunch of services trying to create a trans patient advisory board. We have not yet managed to pull one together, although there are certainly some specific studies, including ones that I'm involved in, that are developing such patient advisory boards. We've also been trying to work towards getting trans patients and parents of trans youth onto the full hospital patient advisory board. One of the things that we have been fortunate to have, however, is transgender and gender diverse staff who are parts of all of these committees and who can share their experiences as well as many of us who have worked as clinicians within these communities and are deeply community connected and can bring in those voices. But I agree that trying to get this patient advisory board up and running, it's really important. We've been trying for a really long time and there have been a lot of barriers in the way, including the fact that we feel really strongly about the fact that people should be paid for participation in something like this. And we have just struggled putting together funding to make this happen. But a bunch of people within the Gender Multi-Specialty Smooth Service are working hard on formulating just such a patient advisory board. And the hope is, while that is primarily going to be a GEMS board, that a lot of that information will be useful in broader hospital operations. Thank you for sharing that uh, perspective. That was nice to hear that we're at least in the process of trying to establish that. And you also talk about having the employees provide their input on what they would hope to see. I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about what the Rainbow Alliance is and kind of how to get involved, who gets involved. Sure. The Rainbow Alliance is the LGBTQIA plus employee resource group here at the hospital. Uh, really, anybody is welcome to be a part of it. You don't have to identify as a member of the LGBTQ community. We love our allies. Um, we've been around for, I want to say, something in the neighborhood of 13 or 14 years and have really expanded over the years all the things that we do. We initially started off as really celebrating Pride Month in June, marching in the parade, doing an annual event, and have expanded into a lot more year-round now. Uh, we do a really great program in March in partnership with Office of Health Equity and Inclusion for LGBTQ Health Awareness Month. We had fantastic programming this year and good training events and resource events. We do a National Coming Out Day in October and a Transgender Day of Awareness event in November for Trans Awareness Week. And we provide community and a lot of ongoing activities too, and a lot of training and a lot of education opportunities as well too. So really anybody can get involved. I think one of the things that I love about it and in listening to some of the projects that people have been talking about, it just reminds me how much grassroots effort has been involved in this type of work for the ERG, for the ERG to even exist, but also so many things I see around the hospital came out of somebody said, wouldn't it be great if we did ABC? And then they found a group of people who were interested in working on it and helped to make that happen. You know, I think of all the events, um, all the programming, all the improvements. I can see panels of people who have worked on it over the years, who have put together a proposal or reached out to leadership or piloted a program on their own or started an educational talk. And they all really collectively contribute to making this an interesting place to work. But I love that spirit of advocacy and uh, action. So I, I think it's a great place to come and get inspired by that kind of thing and, and find a place that's comfortable for you to get involved or uncomfortable for you to get involved, really. And we also have a number of special interest groups, including a group specifically for allies, a group specifically for our transgender and non-binary employees, and a group specifically um, to center LGBTQ people of color. So one of the things that we're trying to do is recognizing that the LGBTQIA umbrella is a very, very large one, and we want to make it welcoming, but we also want to make spaces for people to feel a tighter knit sense of community and where they can discuss certain issues that they would not necessarily feel comfortable discussing with a larger group. Jim, you mentioned some of the programs and the great work that's been done. I'm wondering, can you just give us a little more detail about some of these programs and the work that's been done in the past? A good example we did talk about with Safe Zone. I mean, I think that's been really supported by the LGBTQ group throughout, and a lot of our facilitators are members of the Rainbow Alliance who volunteer their time to do it. Some of the events and things that we've done, uh, the flag raising event that came out of the um, LGBTQ group, we do a Boston Children's Pride Day now as part of the launch for of our June Pride Month. And last year, we started for the first time a LGBTQ plus action day where we are looking to find 
and share resources in ways that people can get involved and advocate or learn and educate as part of their allyship journey. Liz or Nelson, if I'm missing something, be sure to speak up as well. Two things that are completely different on different ends of the spectrum is that one thing that people love is the amazing rainbow lanyard that you can get in the parking office and that everyone loves to use to show their allyship with the LGBTQIA community. And on the completely opposite end of the spectrum is that the hospital has been participating in the Human Rights Campaign's Health Equality Index for a number of years. And we have um, always been ranked as a health equality leader since we started participating in those surveys. Well, that's something to be very proud of. Um, and I agree, the lanyards are amazing. Um, I think they've been very well received and I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, have been wondering where to get one. So it is helpful for all of us to know that it's at the parking office and Jim would be very happy to give you one. And hopefully he's, he's got them stockpiled. If you are in one of the satellite locations, we have lots of representatives all over the enterprise who can get them to you as well. What does a community um, event look like? How do you identify where in the community you get involved and what kinds of activities have you done in the community, you know, to engage with them? If you're thinking external community, Ava, like, yes. um, you know, I think we have not done enough community outreach. And I think it's one of the things that we would like to start doing more of. But I can say like this year, for instance, we are encouraging members of the Rainbow Alliance to participate in the Trans Resistance March that's happening this year as part of the LGBTQ Pride programming. And so really that just entails showing up, participating, being a body uh, and showing your support and putting on your best Trans Pride Rights Matter t-shirt encouraging folks to participate in the Boston Pride Parade when it comes up, any of those external uh, events that really in that great grassroots spirit, you can put together a group of people who are interested in attending something and participating and find a few friends and, and go along to uh, show your support for it. Another thing is that a lot of our providers and members are also members of the LGBTQIA community. And so we try and bring our children's identity to community events that we attend as ourselves as community members. And sometimes that means just doing things like wearing my LGBTQ and friends t-shirt or one of my many, 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 many children's places upon which I have shown a trans pride flag. And the number of conversations that I've had with people who have come up to me and told me what it has meant to them to um, come to the hospital see the pride flags, to know that there are gender affirming providers at the hospital, to see representation in the community has been, it, it never fails to move me. Will you have a Boston Children's representation um, this year at the pride parade? This oh year? yeah, definitely. We will be in the parade with, I'm sure, a very large group. We are also working to collaborate with the other area institutions to have all of the healthcare institutions march back to back to create a real sense of presence around um, healthcare support for LGBTQ issues and uh, gender affirming care. Look forward to joining you on that. Can you remind all of us what the data is for the Pride Parade? Yes. And we may have already missed it by the time the podcast like actually launches, but it's June 10th is the Boston Pride Parade. June 3rd is the Trans Resistance March. And um, those are open to the public and anybody can participate. And where are those located? Uh, well, the Boston Pride Parade happens in sort of downtown Copley area, marching to City Hall. I I am not sure off the top of my head, maybe Liz or Nelson may know. I think the Trans Resistance March is in JP, but I am not 100% certain. I'm pretty sure it starts somewhere around Franklin Park Zoo and uh, they have an after March rally too, so... Nothing a quick Google search couldn't find for our sure, yes. What are some of the things that we as employees can all do to work towards creating more of that inclusive environment um, and a safe space for our patients, their families, colleagues? Um, just curious your thoughts on those. Yeah, I would really want to say uh, first, any individual can actually make a difference. So really, uh, you should not think that I on my own can't make a big difference. You really actually can. People see their work environments, they can advocate, but a lot of visual cues really, really make a big difference. Rainbow lanyards, having a pride flag at your check-in desk, training your staff around using good language, vocabulary, pronouns, gender neutral language, um, looking at the visual representation you have in your waiting areas. 
do does our artwork does our books we have out um represent uh, diverse populations of people with diverse gender identities and diverse sexual identities um all those ways are things we can do that you know collectively make this feel a more welcoming inclusive environment which is really really important for lgbtq folks who are trying to access healthcare because we know that the fear of discrimination and mistreatment and even abuse is so high with LGBTQ folks that they would actually potentially avoid seeking necessary medical care for fear of being mistreated. So we really need to start with that place right there. One of the things I just wanted to add and echo what Jim said in the perioperative environment, he's completely right because when patients come and arrive, for example, in our ambulatory setting, it's just like almost like an unwanting or unwelcoming environment. And so just wearing the simple lanyard, many of our staff have hats that have um, the rainbow colors or transgender flags, and it really does help our patients feel more welcoming. And just again, education and understanding the terminology goes a long way and helping people in the uh, environment understand that terminology and language. And it all comes down to mutual respect and understanding with one another. There are also some specific things that you can do. And one of them you heard me do at the top, which is to introduce yourself with your pronouns. And Sometimes that feels really awkward, but the truth is most people are not going to notice, but the people who do notice are going to care a lot that you made the effort. And similarly, working to avoid making assumptions about relationships, about gender, about sexual orientation, things like don't assume that a patient has two parents and that if they have two parents, they are a mom and a dad. They may have two moms or two dads or two non-binary patients. Don't assume that the person has an opposite gender partner. Just trying to take away as many assumptions that sort of presume heterosexuality and being cisgendered, which is to say to having the same gender identity that is expected for your assigned sex at birth. Just being aware of all the places where you make those assumptions and trying to slowly get rid of them. And that said, one of the other really important things is to accept that you will make mistakes. You will accidentally dead name someone. You will accidentally use the wrong pronouns. And when that happens, it's really hard not to be defensive. And it's really important not to be defensive. So all you need to do is apologize, correct yourself, and move on. Because if you say more, if you start talking about how the fact is that you're such a great ally or making excuses, it just makes it about you rather than about the person who was harmed. So apologize, move on, and try and remember that our focus is on the patient. Yeah, I want to add to that too, just giving people permission to like make mistakes when you're being well-intended. If you're coming from a place of respect and you're trying, it's okay to make a mistake. You can recover. And I think one of the things we talk about in the Safe Zone training is that I think because there's so much vocabulary related to LGBTQ uh, folks and the community, I think a lot of people feel a little bit intimidated by it and a little overwhelmed. And I think they're afraid that they may say something accidentally that might unintentionally offend someone or that they're going to be faced with hearing words that they don't understand what they mean and they might feel intimidated. So we're really just trying to encourage people just like lean into it. It's like it's okay to feel uncomfortable. And if you're presented with something that you don't know, if you come from a place of respect, it's great to say, hey, thanks so much for sharing that information with me so that I understand better. Can you explain a little bit more about what this word means to you? Or like Liz said, if you make a mistake, correct yourself, use the right pronouns and move on. Speaking of pronouns, because this is something that actually comes up a lot with nurses and with other clinical staff is that when a person is inpatient, it can be really helpful when people who are coming into the room introduce themselves and give their name, give their pronouns, say what their role is and what they're doing there. And sometimes people can feel a bit defensive when a patient asks for their pronouns. They feel like the patient is asking for something very private. I once heard someone say that the patient didn't need to know what's in their pants. So I always like to remind people that your pronouns are not what's in your pants. All your pronouns are, are a short way of referring to you without using your name every time. So when I'm talking about Jim, I can say that he said that, or I can say that Nelson, well, he said that. And if I don't know someone's pronouns, I can say, well, that person, well, they just cut me off in traffic. And that's really annoying. We did have the pins with your pronouns that you could attach to your lanyard. Is that something that's still available for staff to get? I think you can wear them, but they 
get those. Yeah, same places as you get lanyards. We have plenty of them. I just get a big order from them. They say, ask my pronouns on them. Ooh, ooh, and very exciting. Sorry, I'm very excited about this because I just got my new badge. You can now get your pronouns on your badge. You just have to ask sure. in the ID office. That is very exciting and good to know. I love that. You talked a lot about the importance of really trying to, you know, identify when you are not knowledgeable about pronouns, allowing yourself to make those mistakes. But I am wondering if there are any resources that you are aware of that are available for people to educate themselves, whether that's, you know, really great podcasts or really great, uh, aside from ours, um, a really great book or research article or something that um, you have found really helpful as a resource or guide. So, yeah, there are a ton. There really are so much stuff available online. I refer people a lot to the HRC Lee Payne website actually has a lot of really good resource guides about being an ally to the LGBTQ community, being welcoming of trans and, and non-binary folks using pronouns. So there's lots of great and also resource guides on coming out yourself so that you can get more help and support in that places too. But there's so much stuff available on. And actually on the Boston Children's Today website, there is the pronoun guide that we developed right here at Boston Children's by some members of our psychiatry department that talks all about how to use pronouns and what they mean and how it works. And for people who are trying to help trans patients who have legal questions about IDs and things like that or about, or about regulations in the state of Massachusetts, I love MassTPC, which stands for the Massachusetts Trans Political Coalition. They do a lot of really great work around advocacy, but they also have free legal clinics and lots of advice around people who are working on updating their gender markers or who have questions about laws in the state. Another one of my favorite resources is LGBTMAP.org, which is the Movement Advancement Project. And the Movement Advancement Project is tracking nationally legislation related to LGBT people, including LGBT health. And it is an incredibly comprehensive resource. And they also provide lots of guides for how to work and address, vari address various issues that may be showing up in clinics, in community. Uh, the same thing is true for the Williams Institute, which is another group that does a lot of research and policy in this area, and also Lambda Legal. There's also resources for nurses. Um, there are several articles that have been published um, by myself and also by Liz Bosky um, in journals. And so you can easily get them on our anesthesia internal website um, under the GAS link. I'm happy to send you articles about gender affirming care. And I know that many of us are also happy to provide in-services on floors or on units or to provide resources or to answer questions. My, I used to be in the Center for Gender Surgery and our clinical nurse, Maria Semnack, and I, prior to the pandemic, were probably doing 30 or 40 trainings a year on various units. And one of the things that both of us always say is that we are always happy to come and talk to you, but we're also always happy to answer emails with questions because we want you to ask us rather than asking your, your patients. Or not ask. Yeah, it's like definitely reach out to us to find out the answer because we can definitely get you to someone who will be able to answer your question for you. Do you also have resources for children and siblings? Oh, yeah, there are some really great books for children of various ages. One of my favorite resources is if you Google um, GayYA, you'll come to a bunch of book lists of books about LGBTQIA children and families from every age, from board books all the way up to young adult books to adult books. We also, during Pride Month and LGBT Health Month, often have tables with a bunch of books on them so that people can see the resources that are out there. So there are many, many resources available. There are also religious resources. Um, the one that always comes to mind is there's an organization called Keshet, K-E-S-H-E-T, that does a lot of work with LGBTQIA Jews. And there are other um, religious supports for individuals of other faiths. Excellent. You're like a wealth of knowledge and you just know these websites, you know how to spell them. I'm impressed. <laughs> and you're in your car. I can't even imagine you have this in front of your face. I have been doing nothing but LGBTQIA health for the past six years. It is my entire life and I am incredibly passionate about it. And I, I just love it. And so I want everyone to be as supportive as possible. And so I just keep all this random stuff in my brain. 
Liz, can you also share um, what Dr. Sabra Katz is also doing, developing guidelines and support for transgender and gender diverse children's well-being? I believe there's a website. Yeah. So Sabra Katzweiz, who is an amazing researcher and also the co-director of the Harvard Doge Research Group, which is the Sexual Orientation, Gender Identity and Expression Research Group, has developed a series of guidelines and they are evidence-based guidelines for parents um, to for talking about LGBTQ issues. Sabra does a lot of amazing research on the experiences of LGBTQI youth and their families, um, as well as the experiences siblings and she is an amazing resource as is her work but yes as Nelson mentioned they have published these parenting guidelines and I sadly that is not a website that I know off the top of my head because it only came out about a year ago. You're allowed to pass on this one. You did the BCH Academy session on creating a gender inclusive learning environment correct? That is correct. I did that with my work wife Frances Grimstad. It was such a fantastic presentation. I felt like I left that and took away so many things that I think were are applicable in any environment, whether you're in a work environment or a, a social environment. I loved that. I, I walked away from that session in particular with so many take-home points, um, especially as you know, my colleague Lauren Danforth and I run the Transition to Nursing Practice Program, and it just really reinforced ensuring that we create an environment where individuals in the classroom are able to express themselves in the way that they identify. And so I think it just really changed the way that we introduce ourselves and introduce each other when we first start a cohort. So I want to thank Hey, that makes me so happy. I appreciate all of your input and sharing your advice that mistakes are going to be made and acknowledging that mistakes happen um, and moving forward from those are important. I'm just wondering if you have any advice on how to kind of engage in an environment where, you know, a colleague or even a family member of a patient is um, not using correct gender or the correct name for a patient. I think back to our high reliability principles here. And so how do we speak up for safety or cross-check each other to ensure that we are doing right by the patient? So there are different practices for if it's a colleague than if it's a parent. So I'm going to start with the if it's a parent. And I will also say that we're actually, as part of a grant that I'm on, building a website with free CME material on working with gender diverse youth that actually addresses this issue specifically. I was reviewing our content this morning and that will eventually be at transhealthguide.org and that will be free CMEs, which is always very exciting. That said, the most important thing is before you correct a parent, talk to the patient. Because one of the things is that some patients, they don't want you to correct their parents. They won't feel safe. If their parent is corrected, it may um, expose them to vitriol, or it might just be that their parent is having a bad day and they don't think it's worth your time. So always check with the patient before you correct a parent. And I'm always finding a reason just to like pop the parents out of the room. Maybe the patient's putting on a gown or something like that. And I'll say something to them like, I just want to check in with you. I noticed that your parent is using she, her pronouns for you. And I had in my notes that you use they, them pronouns. So is that still correct? And if they say yes, I'll say, do you want me to say something to your parents? And then I listen to what they say. And the hardest part of that is sometimes they tell me no, and they tell me that their parent doesn't affirm them. And it breaks my heart to do it to what I think of as wrong, but they get to be, this is where you can hear the social worker in me, they get to be the expert in their own life. And they get to tell me that it's not safe to correct their parent or it's not what they want. If it's a colleague, on the other hand, just keep correcting them. I do this all of the time. I annoy surgeons left and right because we'll be talking about a patient and they'll misgender them and they'll say she and I'll say they. And they'll say she and I'll say the patient uses they them pronouns and just keep quietly correcting them over and over again until it sinks in. And sometimes it's really fast and sometimes it's really slow and you don't have to make a big deal about it. But patients and honestly, some of my trans colleagues have told me again and again the impact of having a cisgender professional step up for them and not having to do that work themselves when they don't know if it's going to be safe to do it, the more that we as allies can stand up for our patients, it makes the environment safer for everyone. 
And I add to that as well, too, that even if a patient doesn't want you to correct their parents, just the fact that you took the time to have a private conversation with them is still affirming their identity. And that means a lot. So even if you feel like this is too uncomfortable and I don't know if I feel confident having this conversation with a parent, acknowledging it for the patient in a private setting really, it really, really matters. From working in the bedside for many years, it just, that is one of the challenges, um, ensuring that we are protecting our patients, but also to Liz's point, it's heartbreaking and it's also very challenging to correct yourself when you know that you need to use these pronouns in this setting and these pronouns in this in a different setting and making sure that you're following that appropriately. And I think for me, that was when I felt like I did make mistakes and I often felt really bad about that. And, you know, sharing that those things do happen is, I think, uh, helpful to, for the audience to hear. Yeah. And as I often say, I have been doing basically nothing but transgender health for the past six years, and I still make mistakes. And if I only work with trans patients all the time and I'm still making mistakes, you're still going to make mistakes. It's okay. Look look up to me for how badly you can do it. Can I put a plug into for another resource? Because if you have not checked out the Trevor Project's website, they have a really amazing annual survey on LGBTQ mental health and, for young people. And the statistics they show in it about the the challenges that LGBTQ young people face because of issues around stigma and discrimination and cultural oppression is really, really alarming. I think it really raises a sense of urgency and the importance of this work for everybody who looks at it. But one of the other things that you can see really clearly is that when there is even one supportive person in a young LGBTQ person's life, the uh, statistics improve dramatically across the board. So that could be a parent Unfortunately, it's not always a parent. It can be a coach. It can be a teacher. It can be a healthcare provider. Honestly, you could be the one person in that LGBTQ young person's life who is affirming their identity. And that actually can be life-changing. So it really, we can't say enough how important this is. And for folks who may feel like, well, you know, it's like I don't really interact with a lot of LGBTQ people or patients. First of all, you, you don't know that you are or not. I mean, they're, they're, are, they're out there. Um, they may not feel safe enough to share with anybody that that's who they are, or that's what their identity is. But, you know, modeling good behavior and being a respectful, inclusive person can be life-saving, let alone life-changing. So as a clinician, if you're at the bedside, what would be the best way to approach the patient's mental health? Like, how do you say to them, are you doing okay? Like, what would be the best approach, would you say? Well, it depends on what type of clinician you are. Are you a nurse? Are you an MD? Are you a social worker? What exactly is it that you are trying to know? But I think that are you doing okay is always a reasonable question. And Jim also reminded me, uh, and just thinking about healthcare, there are two really incredible reports that have been published about the experience of getting healthcare as an LGBTQIA person. And the first one is about 10 years old at this point, and it's called When Healthcare Isn't Caring, and it's from Lambda Legal. And there's also the National Transgender Discrimination Survey. And the last version of the NTBS had over 25,000 trans Americans and was published in 2015. And they just completed a more updated round of the survey, which I know had even more people, and it hasn't been published yet. But if you are interested in the experiences of people seeking healthcare, and what a difference it makes to have affirming providers and how damaging unaffirming providers can be, I highly recommend those two reports. And they're both available publicly on the web. I'm so glad you said that, Liz. You know, in the emergency department, we see a number of kids that are trans or gender diverse and, and are having mental health struggles. So I love that there's that resource available to people, as it, you said it was titled, when healthcare isn't caring. I think we're very fortunate to work at an organization that is so welcoming and affirming. And that's one of the things that as an educator and as someone who onboards a lot of new staff, I always make it a point to say we are gender affirming here. It comes out every time. I, I just feel very fortunate to work here and to have all these resources available to us. The nurse in our clinical program will often say to people that it can seem really scary to be gender affirming. It can seem really scary and incomprehensible to understand the lives of your transgender patients and to know what to do. 
And what she always says, and this is completely true, is that you may never understand what it means to be transgender. You don't have to. All you have to do is be kind. That's so true. That was really powerful. She's pretty great. We love her. (laughs) Go nurses. Yeah, go nurses. Curious, aside from some of the community events that we've talked about for June Pride Month, are there any in-hospital events that we should be aware of that are taking place in the month of June? Yes. So we have our great flag raising that happens on June 1st in front of the Honeywell building on Longwood Ave. That uh, is a wonderful event to attend. That's a great visual representation of our commitment to supporting the LGBTQ community and providing affirming care here. And then on June 6th at noon in Folkman Auditorium and via Zoom is our big annual LGBTQ Pride uh, celebration. The first time back with a live presentation since 2019. So it's very exciting to be back in that space again. Here's the really important question. Will the Rainbow Cupcakes be back? I do think so. I need to place the order, but I, that, that is the plan. Yes. Everybody loves a good cut. Is that when they present the PRISM Award? Yep, exactly right. So the PRISM Award recognizes individuals around the organization who have um, shown exemplary support and advocacy for uh, folks in the LGBTQ community through either direct advocacy work or research or clinical care. And um, we give two awards out every year and they are presented at the June 6th annual Pride celebration. And it's really cool because one of those awards is to someone who identifies as a member of the community and one of the awards goes to someone who's an ally. Any insider information on to how many uh, nominees you have had this for this year's award? I think at this point now we have something in the range of uh, 12 nominees, but we've had probably close to 30 people submit nominations. Just lots of people have gotten multiple uh, nominations, which is great. That is great. Um, Well, that's very exciting. Something to look forward to. Funny to say that Liz is one of those awardees and she's a wonderful person. And I was actually a finalist with her. And so just wanted to, I can. No, that's totally brag about. We have have a PRISM Award winner in our midst. I love it. (laughs) Does that mean that you get to give the award this year? We always do pick someone who's like going to give an interesting talk um, to give the award. So no, but I will be cheering people on because I was incredibly honored to win the award and to share the award with one of my favorite humans at Boston Children's Hospital, Hillary Smiley, who is in the trust and is just a delightful person. You will also notice that I often describe people as humans and I've used that to get away from gendered language and it's at this point become a verbal tick and a lot of my clinical colleagues laugh at me, but it works. We're mostly humans and not cyborgs. I will say though, it came out of one of those mistakes where I asked a patient if the person with them was their parent and it turned out it was their partner. And so now rather than assuming either relationship or gender, I always ask patients if they've come in with someone, who is this lovely human who you have brought with you? And that way I usually get the relationship, the name and where relevant the gender. I use that line all the time. Thank you, Liz, for sharing that with me. It's become my go-to. That's the best cheat ever. Right. I'll also do a plug for the Pride Parade. I had the luxury of doing this with you guys probably about five, six years ago. It was when there was a gentleman who dressed in green who was doing somersaults all through Boston. It was so much fun. There was so much love in that whole parade route. Just it was just a boatload of fun. So if people are around that day, I definitely recommend joining. It's a huge event. I'm very, very excited that um, we're going to have an actual parade again this year. It's great to bring it back again, finally. Curious, you know how many people from Children's do does typically go as a group? I appreciate some people go with their own. Their yeah, own. no, we we we're technically limited to having a hundred people march with us, but that's been oftentimes that's about the number of people who've shown up. So, oh, for wow. our group, yeah, it's a big group. Yeah, that's amazing. How many members are in the Rainbow Alliance? 350-ish in our uh, distribution list. So wow. And curious, do you have monthly meetings or what is this? Monthly-ish. You know, uh, so because we have a lot of stuff that goes on during the year, so we don't always have a monthly meeting every month. But I was just saying to someone, I need to get one scheduled for this current month we're in. In June, we might not have one because we have so many activities going on, but then we'll get it back on in July. And so we do a combination of community things and then 
community meetings with our LGBTQ internal community and then other ongoing events. And the, there is a new allyship group that just launched last month. Uh, and they're definitely having regular monthly meetings to do education and advocacy work. So it's an interesting group. And do you know how people would be able to get involved in that group? Yes. Well, you could either email lgbtq at childrens.harvard.edu and we can connect you with either the Rainbow Alliance or the allyship group. The allyship group is a part of the Rainbow Alliance. And that's probably the most direct way right now you can get it. Great. Thank you for sharing that. And then just lastly, what is one thing each of you would want the audience to know about being an ally or a member of the LGBTQ plus community here at Boston Children's? You've shared so many wonderful things already. So feel free to repeat something that's already yeah, been said, no. but... <laughs> I mean, I, I think for me, what I would say is that being an ally is really an active role, you know, and I appreciate everyone's good intentions, uh, interest, sort of like warm feelings. But uh, really, if you're going to be an effective ally, you need to do some stuff. And that may be education. That may be starting to practice and get out of your comfort zone. Um, it may be looking around your area to think like, what can I do around me specifically that can make this a more welcoming, inclusive environment for LGBTQ people? It may be donating resources that you have as you have them available to uh, organizations. Um, but, you know, really find a way to get involved and um, participate because we really need people's participation um, in their actions and their voting and their policy management. There's always a place anybody can take a stand somewhere and help make it better for LGBTQ people. Hard to follow that. I will say that I think for me, one of the things, well, two things. First of all, I have to say that since I came to Children's only about um, six or seven years ago, I'm the short timer here. Um, this is by far, I often say, the queerest place that I've ever worked. And while it is far from perfect, there are many ways in which it is amazing. Um, so that's thing number one. And sort of the flip side of that is that, as we all know, as we have all heard, right now is a really difficult time to be offering gender-affirming care. However, it is not nearly as difficult for the providers as it is difficult to be a transgender person in the U.S. right now. So I just encourage allies and supporters to remember that and to remember who should be centered in the work that we do. And just to echo, it's just really rewarding to be part of this experience for our patients and their families. And I think that it's great that we are able to connect with them. I've been able to connect with one of our patients um, who actually works here and is transgender. And we've been able to speak around different associations and around the country about his experience and also the work that we do in the perioperative environment to improve care. And I just really think that it's important to share your voice and um, be kind to everyone. Thank you for sharing. You can be an ally. You just have to do your work, learn what you need to learn and move forward and remember who the experts are, which is not to say us, it's to say people in their own lives. Yes. Anything else burning that you really want to make sure you share or talk about? I just wanted to share that I'm really proud of our gas team in the Department of Anesthesiology. We were able to receive a grant from the Institutional Clinical and Translational Research to create a registry. And so our goal is to hopefully get collaborators, a multi-center study that will look at anesthesia outcomes and management within our institution and across the world and try to improve the care for the patients that we take care of. That's great. That's amazing, yeah. I want to add to that at, at a department level, I think it can be really powerful to have, have a department work together on an initiative and because it can really change the culture in a specific space in a way that's very difficult for an individual to do. So I really want to encourage people to think at a department level about at a department level meeting, maybe you talk about how are we doing about making this a more inclusive, welcoming environment for LGBTQ people and employees? Do we need to have a safe zone training come and do the whole entire department together and talk specifically about, are we a welcoming, inclusive space? Do we all collectively um, want to commit to using gender neutral language? And when we call each other out on it, when we say, hey, guys, and good morning, ladies, that we say, no, we don't say that. We use inclusive terms here that welcome all genders. Because I haven't seen a whole department go through safe zone training. It really can make a big difference that everybody feels like 
they've come to a collective understanding about how to improve uh, the environment. And it's so much easier to do that as a whole group as opposed to just having an individual make a change. But again, individuals can make a big change. It really, you, you individually can make a difference. I was just going to follow up on your comment about full departments. And I was going to say that leadership matters, that the more that leadership in the department, in the hospital, really shows a commitment to um, being affirming and accepting and really does the work, the more that it is easy for people at lower levels to step up and do that as well. Yeah. And, and for employees in general, I mean, I think we talked a lot about patient support here, but, you know, really acknowledging that we have many, many LGBTQIA plus employees here at the hospital. And I have to say, we don't always have systems that support them effectively. And we're really aware and we're working on making improvements and changes to those. I think lots of stuff that HR has been very helpful and open to hearing feedback on. We're really looking to help action on with them. We talked about the PeopleSoft system touches on 44 different other applications where your name can show up in all kinds of different places. And for somebody who's trans or non-binary, that can be very problematic to see a name that you don't use appear in some place like Find Me at Children's on like the internal web or having challenges around your ID or your email or the way your provider name shows up. Um, that can be really difficult. But even just thinking about and working with HR on how are we collecting demographics on our own internal LGBTQ population because we don't do that right now uh, in the way that we do for race, race or ethnicity that being able to understand even who in our population is um, trans or non-binary or LGB. And um, if we have better understanding of that or people have opportunity to voluntarily disclose that information, then we get a real robust understanding about what the experience is to work at a place like Boston Children's if you're a member of the LGBTQ community. So, And I will say that I, I mentioned it briefly, but also put a plug in for people who do LGBTQIA work. So a lot of us, in addition to pro providing care, also do research on LGBTQIA health. And we have the amazing Harvard Soji Research Group, which actually has researchers from all around the Boston area. And that is one of the most wonderful and collegial spaces I've ever had the privilege of being in that welcomes feedback from people at all levels and is always an exciting place to learn about what is happening in research and for getting advice on doing your research better. I appreciate all of the information sharing that you had today, all of the resources that you've provided to our audience, um, helpful hints um, and ways to be a more inclusive employee workforce institution and to help us celebrate Pride Month. So happy Pride Month. Thank you all for your time and your energy being here today. Um, this has been just a really eye-opening and informational and amazing conversation. And we are so lucky to have all three of you here to represent Boston Children. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Happy Pride. Thank you. Happy Pride. This podcast is sponsored by the Innovation Digital Health Accelerator, Boston Children's Hospital, with support from the emergency department and our inpatient medicine programs. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Small Talk Podcast.